Hi, this is Obi. We still don't have any sponsors, but I'm excited to bring to you the second season of Why You Should Care. And so what is changing this season? Not much. You still have me, your incredible guide to all things politics, but we are expanding past local news. And so we're going to give you, we're going to be doing episodes on all types of things that um, affect us in politics, not just Jacksonville politics. And so we're opening it up to other guests and other types of things. So we are looking forward to what this season will bring. So time for the show. Welcome to the 13th, lucky number 13th episode of Why You Should Care. Each episode, we take a look at a different political issue, and hopefully by the end, you'll know why you should care and what you should do about it. I'm your host, Obi Umana. I'm a lawyer and political consultant born and raised right here in Jacksonville, Florida. My firm provides political consulting for local and statewide candidates. Currently, I've provided services for several elected officials and, and, and winning issue campaigns and referendums. I just finished serving as a North Florida political director for the Joe Biden campaign in Florida, where we where we turned Duval blue for the first time in 24 years. Politics is my business. But what if it isn't? This podcast is designed for you. And as I always say, one small housekeeping item. I am not a journalist. I am a political consultant who who works on Democratic campaigns. So this podcast may have some bias. So do your own research. But don't bother me about being biased. So this season starts very much like the last season started. The mayor has a proposal that just doesn't feel right. I'm sure you've heard about Lot J. uh, And the mayor and the Jacksonville Jaguars have a proposal to develop Lot J, which Lot J is basically uh, one of the parking lots next to the stadium. The plan is to turn it into a a mixed-use entertainment center with offices, apartments, condos, as well as an, a small, I guess they're calling it a uh, live, which is a small entertainment venue. But the goal is to bring people uh, to to downtown, and we'll talk a little bit about what downtown means. But the catch is that it's gonna it's gonna cost two hundred million or more, and that's we'll get into those numbers as well. And it doesn't necessarily secure that the Jags are going to stay in town. And so what we've done an episode about how the city does deals. And if you want to do some research and, you know, stop here and watch or listen to the Chris Hong episode that we did, where we went step by step through how the city does their deals. uh, We won't get into that type of detail this time. We'll talk specifically about Lot J. But we are lucky to have, as we did on the first show last time, Nate Monroe, a columnist from the uh, Florida Times Union, actually hold up award-winning columnist, uh, Nate Monroe. Uh, Nate, thank you for coming on the show today. Hey, thanks, man. Good to, good to be back. So before we get into, into the Jacksonville stuff, I, I do have a football question for you. Taysom or Jameis, who do you pick? Man, that's a tough one. I'd reluctantly go with Taysom just with the asterisk that I – feel like I haven't seen enough of either one to to be super confident in that yet, but I'm okay with Taysom Hill right now. And see, I think that's a good segue into what we're talking about here. There is a lack of information. <laughs> it's, it's like the theme of this whole deal, right, is there's a lack of information here, and that's really been the problem. So let's start, and how we do on the show is in a, a little bit of a timeline fashion, October 5th, the mayor, Shad Khan, they had this this cool like press conference down at the the practice stadium. It's kind of funny they doing it at the they did it at the practice stadiums because that was one of the deals that people felt that they didn't get their money's worth out of. So they did this joint press conference at the at the at the stadium announcing that they had struck a deal, which is also awkward, but. Can you describe a little bit of the details of that press conference and the deal that they struck? Sure. So we have known for a couple of years now that Shah Khan wanted to build uh, with a business partner, the Cordish Companies, this kind of grand mixed-use development on Lot J, which is one of the parking lots adjacent to the stadium. In fact, last year, uh, really closer to about a year and a half ago, the mayor's office rolled out term sheet that was that outlined kind of a conceptual way that this development might take shape. It called for a large city investment to the tune of about $230 million. And, and it was, as you've described, 
more or less what it would look like now, office space some retail space, a kind of a small entertainment venue, some restaurants and bars, and, and maybe a hotel and some residences. That deal, for whatever reason, there was some sort of a delay in the negotiations between last year and this year. And there is some speculation about that we could get into. But what they rolled out this year was substantially the same development it was scaled back. And again, we can talk about this in more detail. The original deal called for an office tower with class A office space. This deal shrank that by... Well, JA was supposed to be there, remember? Right. I think JA, that was like kind of the part of the thought process was that JA was going to be in Lot J. And that was going to be the the kind of the anchor to that whole situation, right? Is that, isn't that was the originally yes. part of the... Absolutely. They were working really hard to recruit JEA to build its new office tower there. When that didn't work, I mean, there was speculation that they were trying to recruit some other businesses. And there were, uh, I mean, there were some names thrown around. And so to see that that kind of got wiped out in this new deal was interesting. And it went from what would have been about 120,000 square feet of office space to just 40,000. And right now it is only 35,000. Anyway, the new deal that they rolled out a few months ago looks more or less similar, a little bit smaller. And for the first couple of days, even the public investment looked smaller. I mean, the city and the mayor's office was kind of going with this 150 million or so figure. We kind of found out over you know the days after that announcement that really the public investment did not change. They kind of layered in some some accounting trickery to try to argue that the direct investment was lower. And in reality, I mean, the, the city is still putting in about $240 million into this development and actually potentially quite a bit more if you calculate the interest yeah. payments. And, and again, that's something we can get into too. I mean, the, yeah, we'll definitely get into that. And yeah. so just to recap kind of what was said here is, you know, the city put out a term sheet and just briefly explain what a term sheet is to people that don't know. Sure. I mean, a term sheet is really a summary of a very complicated contract. So a term sheet is non-binding. Everything that you see in a term sheet, it says it represents what whatever the underlying kind of legal agreement is going to be, but it ultimately isn't you know any sort of binding document. And in fact, the term sheet and the actual... Really changing. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, right. there are differences. Well, also... A term sheet is also like a way for a city to say, hey, this is what we want you developers to provide for us, right? right. Like this is a request in a lot of ways. I know there's – we can get into like semantics of if it's a request for this or whatever. But in a lot of ways, a term sheet is simply a city or an agency saying, hey, this is what we want out of this development. This is what we're willing to put in, right? I mean right. – It's like a high-level – it's a high-level right. summary of, of what both parties are agreeing to. And, and and it's a little weird because obviously, and this is one of the things I do want to get into right now is normally those deals start at a different place, right? They don't start with the mayor saying, hey, we've come up, we've struck this deal and let's go, right? It, it, it doesn't, I mean, these deals have to go through city council and they're supposed to go through DIA, right? I mean, that's kind of how these things are supposed to happen. Right. I mean, the downtown investment authority it was created under Lenny's predecessor, Alvin Brown. It was an agency that a lot of the kind of civic, uh, the civic minded people in town really pushed for. And the idea was to separate out the politics from downtown development, making decisions. It was to kind of set up an agency to be an expert at these things, to make it more of a sort of one-stop yeah, shop. Nice try. Nice try. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So for this deal, especially a deal of this size and scope to not go through the DIA was definitely a, a major deviation from the way things have been done. And I mean, look, the district on the South Bank, which was a similarly kind of grandiose development that was supposed to go up in San Marco and maybe it'll be built one day. That is actually a bigger development than Lot J. And that went, mm -hmm. that went through the DIA. And then also the city council. I mean, the city council is the backstop at the end of this, no matter what. Process. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I mean, the idea being the DIA gives you maybe a more fully formed product and one that had been vetted a little bit more than it seems like we got with Lot J. And so DIA, I mean, like they have staff dedicated 
to processing these deals. And we'll get into their report because it it eventually did come to them. <laughs> but we'll get into that in a little bit. And so just to, and also to, to summarize it a little bit, the city and the Jaguars put together uh, out of term sheet, basically saying that they were going to do they were going to let's just use an example. They were going to make 100 widgets in this place. Right. They sent out the term sheet. They said, we're going to make 100 widgets. And I want to explain this in a way so people that aren't familiar with this can understand what exactly happened. And the city basically told them, we'll pay you $100 million to make 100 mi- a widgets. Then they went back and said, you know what? We're really only going to give you 40 widgets. <laughs> we're only going to give you 40 widgets, but you still need to pay us $100,000. I mean, that's really what is what is starting to happen is that the investment what they're offering is becoming less and less and the investment is staying the same, right? Right. That's right. What were some of the other criticisms of the deal so far? Cause I have a huge one cause I'm a Jaguar fan. There's no, there's no lease kind of connected to this, right? What are some of the other, other criticisms that you've heard about this? Well, yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, you have to start there. The, the most common complaint justifiably is that this lot J deal, despite the fact that it's being sold as a project that is necessary to, quote unquote, stabilize the Jaguars presence in the city for the long term future. The one thing that could actually truly stabilize their presence in the long term future, an extension on the stadium lease is not part of this deal. And stemming from that criticism, there is no real concession that the Jaguars are making in any real sense in this deal. I mean, they're if they didn't want to touch a lease agreement, they could have, for example, agreed to a minimum number of home games uh, in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, most listeners will know that last year, or really in the beginning of this year, before this season, Shah Khan announced that he wanted to have two home games in London. Uh, the pandemic ruined that. But, you know, they could have guaranteed, you know, at least seven home games or maybe even eight. They could have backed off on some of the more generous incentives in this yeah let's talk about some of those really quickly because yeah. some of the more generous incentives can you go through a few of them sure this, this is like the one of the best deals i've ever seen so <laughs> i mean the the two the two big ones are the city is committed a maximum of 92.8 million dollars to uh remediate the property so it's it, the lot j is a contaminated brownfield so part of that 92.8 would be devoted to cleaning the property up and then relocate, you know, uh, extending utility lines, relocating utility infrastructure, building parking, structured parking, so a parking garage, wayfaring, si- like signage for the property, building sidewalks, all these sort of public amenities, public art. That is a tremendous amount of money to put into a nine acre piece of land. And at least one independent review of this project has kind of not really been able to justify why that $92.8 million is so high. Um, the other big benefit that Shah Khan is getting is a $65 million loan. This is not really a loan in the way that most people would think about it. Uh, this loan has a 50-year payback term. It comes with zero interest. And really is structured in such a way that, I mean, Shah Khan never really has to come out of pocket for anything. I mean, this is a, I guess a better way to say it is that this is really about a $52 million tax-free grant that Shah Khan gets. That, that's probably the easiest way to describe it. It's $52 million he gets to use, and it's it's just kind of a straight amount of money. Uh, that's what that loan really And that's uncommon from a lot of the deals that we've done. Even the the district deal that I've I've criticized didn't get that level of kind of help, right? No, I mean the district, uh, which you know, as I said earlier, I mean that was a, that's a larger project, and you're testing my memory a little bit, but I mean I think the ask was around like seventy something million, and that was considered outrageous when that came up. And right. Council, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the council yeah. ended up dialing back some of the incentives. They broke it the down, CIA. really. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this is on a different, I mean, this incentive package is on a different plane altogether. And I mean, what it, I guess, in the 20,000 foot view is the city, the intent was to make the city a 50-50 partner on the cost side of it. Uh, It is not a 50-50 beneficiary of all of the revenue generating opportunities 
uh, but it is a 50-50 financing partner. The concern is that when you start looking closer at the deal, the concern is that the city may be something closer to a 60 or 70% financing partner. And and again, we can get into some of that. In a bit. Yeah, I want to, I do want to talk about that now because really in typical Lenny world, they, they go out and they do this press conference and they give a number about what we would be making back on every dollar we spent. Right. And, and it was like $1.49, right? For every dollar we spend, we were going to get $1.49 back. And so, you know, my first question was always like, where did you get that information from? And when I believe one of you guys asked, and they said they got it from Shad Khan. And, I, and I'm like, well, you know, that already, you know, if I'm making a deal with someone and I'm only using their data, I feel like that's a problem, right? Like, I feel like that's a problem. And and what ended up happening was that it started, people also felt that that was a little bit over generous as well. And then it got sent to what the council auditors first, right? And they did a report and the ROI return on investment ended up being a lot less than that, right? What was the return on investment once the council auditors kind of took a look at it, forty four cents on the yeah, dollar. Yeah, forty four cents on every dollar. Like, in these is this is coming from people. You know, Lenny likes to call himself a businessman, and I'll tell you, I won't be in business long if I if I lost sixty cents on every dollar that I spent. I just I just wouldn't be I wouldn't be around. So it kind of went to the council auditors, and then it went to city council for a little bit. And what did city council do at that point? The city council has this 200-page development agreement dropped on its lap. I mean, by almost any fair interpretation, I think, the development agreement was just really sloppy. There were things in it that were clearly unacceptable from the auditor's perspective, like really low-hanging fruit things that needed to change. And so almost as soon as this massive, complicated document gets dropped in their laps, it starts changing immediately. And it kind of sits in limbo for a while until the council feels the need and the pressure to send it to the downtown investment authority. Yeah. For a review. And I think that's what happened, right? I mean, people, every time people ask questions on this deal, it just starts to like spiral downhill, right? And count, it got in front of council. They started asking questions about it. What were some of those low hanging fruit things that, originally was just in the deal that needed to be taken out immediately. Do you remember any of those? I mean, I can remember one. and I mean, this seemed to change faster than, uh, I don't even know. I think they might've caught this before the auditors even looked at it. But one of the things that was in the term sheet that did not end up in the development agreement was a uh, provision that would have allowed Shah Khan to use any of the leftover money from that $92.8 million we talked about. If the infrastructure didn't cost $92.8 million, he could reallocate that however else he wanted to. Um, and the way the, the term sheet described it, that was this like enormously vague provision. I mean, it, it said something like he could use it for any other piece of Lot J or for anything else that might be adjacent to the stadium. I mean, without having seen the underlying language, it was almost broad enough where like he could use that to pay out Bortles' contract or something. I mean, it was like super vague. That never yeah. even made it into the development agreement. So there were there were things like that. I mean, the auditors, you know, as they do, they they kind of ran through uh provisions that had like some conflicting language in it. They found uh some of the the ways the the kind of schedule for how money was going to be used needed to change. There were some things that uh, it looked like maybe public money was going to go toward that public money can't really be spent on, like soft administrative costs. So, I mean, there were just things like that. But One of the things I thought, too, that the council auditors did was really throw a lot of I would say water on their project on their on their projections for numbers. Oh, right. Yeah. One of the things that I saw was that and I think it was maybe it was going to bring three to two million people more down. Like their projection was that this project would bring two to three million more people to downtown a year. Right. Which seems like impossible. Like it doesn't even seem like 
it doesn't even it's not even fanable that, that that that's even possible right i mean yeah i mean the some of the so the council auditor i mean one of the other things that they did was just simply highlight some of the policy decisions that that this development agreement kind of speaks to and they did sort of highlight yes like there is a lack of i, I mean I, these are my words not the auditors but i mean there's just a lack of any credible justification for these incentives to the example that that you just brought up, I mean, the president of the Jaguars, Mark Lamping, said yesterday that yeah, he expects that Lot J would bring two to three million people to the sports entertainment complex. Let's use a million as the current number, uh, assuming that's right. I mean, that is a, right. that is a one to two hundred percent increase. Not only that, I mean. Somebody- but to come and see what though, like like the, this inner this uh, like lot J is like a I mean it, it doesn't like what are you thinking you're gonna get a hundred mil like another million to two million people to come to like uh, Applebee's or whatever they're planning to have in this place? It doesn't seem like it's I mean it's like I mean what are you gonna, like a it's not like a a Dave and Buster's, it's like a, at, at best a Dave and Buster's and a couple of you know amphitheater type of venues and a hotel and stuff. I don't, I just don't get the catch. I don't get what is going to bring all these people down there. I, I don't either. And for perspective, for people listening, like I found a uh, an NYU study of uh, planned uh, some planned renovations to Wrigleyville in Chicago. And it noted that Wrigleyville is one of Chicago's biggest, it was like its third largest tourism draw. Wrigleyville gets something like 3 million visitors a year. I mean, going to a Cubs game is one of the premier sporting experiences in the United States, if not just in the world. I mean, it's a really special place. Uh, It's in a fully formed historic neighborhood. I mean, the idea that this sort of modest development, this kind of suburban, like, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings style franchise that the Jaguars are thinking about building, that that would somehow turn the sports entertainment district into something comparable to like Wrigleyville is fucking outlandish. I mean, just no, no, 100%. Really, yeah. Like it's, it's, it's so wild to me because it's like, you know, like I, it, I lived here pretty much my whole life, born and raised here, moved away, lived in South Florida, actually, for a little bit, lived right next to like the Hard Rock, right, where which is a huge casino uh, with the entertainment center there as well. And this is nothing close to that, right? This is nothing close to that. And we're expecting to be drawing like that amount of people here. And and, and then the, the best part of this whole thing was the Four Seasons thing. So the part of the part of the the plan or what we were told was that they were going to bring a Four Seasons here, and I'll, I'll tell you, I've stayed in a Four Seasons. You know, they don't just put Four Seasons anywhere, right? They don't just put Four Seasons. They're not even a lot in Florida. There's not one in like I believe Savannah or like even closer here as well. And so they're telling us that they're putting a a, a Four Season here, and then what happened? What do we hear from? the actual Four Seasons company themselves, they literally go on Twitter and tell us that we, they don't know what we're talking about, right? I mean... Yeah, I mean, Shad has had this had this ambition to bring the Four Seasons here for several years. And and I guess to be fair to them, they they claim that the Four Seasons is part of a separate future project, but they're, they've tried to use the, the lure of the Four Seasons one day happening to get the to get the council to approve this lot J money. And I, the idea that the four seasons, so Shah Khan owns a four seasons in Toronto. It was an already developed built operating hotel before he purchased it. So he did not build it. Uh, but he is an owner of the, of the Toronto four seasons and he's looking at buying a second one, but I, they, so I, I think part of what happened not to kind of put myself in the middle of this, but I talked to a, a a person who is in real estate investment banking. And this is someone who is, he's the kind of person who raises uh, capital to build luxury hotels, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. who literally laughed at this idea that a Four Seasons could go uh, on a contaminated brownfield, uh, you know, on actually on park space that the city doesn't even have the right to develop yet. 
um, he just kind of laughed at it and said, this is, you know, I mean, it's just kind of a, another outlandish fantasy, like the four seasons, the four seasons is not super thrilled with their property in Disney world. Like that's kind of the lowest level that they'll go. And, you know, what we're talking about in, in this part of on the outskirts of downtown is nothing comparable to the number of people who visit Disney world. So anyway, I had posted some, some summary of this conversation I had and at a council meeting, uh, the Jaguars lobbyist, Paul Harden, was like kind of very dismissive of this and said, you know, I'm not sure who's saying what, but, you know, Shah Khan, by golly, he's got a letter from the Four Seasons that shows they're coming here. And that was several weeks ago. We have never seen any letter from the Four Seasons. The Jaguars have not. Trump taxes. Yeah, we, Trump tax return. yeah, the Jaguars have not turned over this letter that supposedly commits the Four Seasons to building here. I mean, it's just kind of a silly, like, of course, the Four Seasons is not committed to building here. They may have given Shah Khan a letter that says if they ever decide to come here, he can build it. But And I'll tell you, like, you know, I work, I do some real estate work in my legal practice. And like, you know, a lot of times you will get what's called a letter of an intent. That's not even binding. Doesn't mean much, but it is a, a just a, hey, we, we are interested. And that would be very easy for a company to produce and get to someone. And if you had that, you would be able to show that. And it's also everybody understands that it's not binding, but that would be a step in the in the right direction as opposed to what ended up happening was the Four Seasons Twitter account basically said, we don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, somebody, you know? yeah, like a reader on Twitter tagged the Four Seasons and asked about their upcoming hotel in Jacksonville and the official company account responded that there are no plans for it, which is just... You know, I I mean, I, I don't know that a social media manager necessarily is like in the room talking to Sean. Right, Khan, right, but, right. You know, it, it's but just like really bad. Like people probably tweet the four seasons all the time sure. and they don't answer. So that was kind of my thought was like they didn't have to say anything. They could have just not said anything, but they wanted to make it clear that they didn't know anything about a Jacksonville thing, which was a little bit. I feel like that's when I think people are start. I mean, people. People did never what I what I said today on Twitter was that the fact that the Jaguars thought the mayor was the best person to pitch this shows the problem with the Jaguars organization. Because if anybody's been following the mayor for the last four or five years, people don't trust when he brings these deals to the table. Ferris will all these different deals that he tries to bring the they J.A., they put the scrutiny on these deals and they fall apart. He's not trusted. And so for some reason they wanted him to carry the water. And I don't, I don't really understand that. Yeah. I mean, the, the mayor's office certainly does not have the credibility to really get this through in a painless way. I mean, the a project like this, I mean, you really have to work hard to build consensus um, to get people on board. And I mean, that's just, you know, not, their style that, that is not what the mayor's office is set up to do yeah i mean they basically they put this they put this um they did they do their typical run of show where they where they do the press conference and they basically put pressure on everyone to move it or you look like a political or they try to use it against you politically right and that's what's happening i guess now because when we originally did that press conference on october you were told that this was not tied to the Jaguars staying here. Like that was a like a statement, but it's now changed, right? That has changed completely almost. Oh, there I mean the Jaguars were so sensitive about this about that suggestion. I mean, I had written in a column in the beginning of 2019, I'd said something about the Jaguars kind of talking out of both sides of their mouth. Like this idea that you know, that they, they're committed to the future, but then every now and then they make some comment about the viability of the city. And, uh, I mean, they're so sensitive about it that Mark Lamping like reached out and wanted to meet and we had a meeting, um, and he wanted to sort of clear this up that, you know, this is not, we're, we're not looking to leave and that that's not what people should suggest. And so, I mean, here we are, um, more than a year later and the mayor goes on this bizarre Twitter rant on Monday, essentially undermining all of these years of messaging the Jaguars have, have put out in saying that apparently lot J is a major consideration 
about whether they'll stay here. And there is a possibility they'll leave if they don't get this lot J money, which is again. And I will, and I will, I will to paraphrase this, the, the mayor, if you want to be in uh, NFL city, you need to vote for this. I mean, that's basically yeah. what he was, what he was saying. And he put that on the table and it's not that you needed to vote for this. You need to vote for this right now. Like if you, like you, you don't have a chance to wait. And I've learned um, you know, when I was a kid, my mom used to take us to garage sales every Saturday morning. And if somebody's that desperate to make a deal, the product is probably broken. Right. And so like you, you know, the fact that he's not only like using this as like, Hey, you're going to lose the Jaguars, but also you need to make this vote right now. Like it has to happen right now. It should, should be red flags to everyone in my opinion. Absolutely. And I mean, I think there have also just been these kind of misleading talking points and and some platitudes that get thrown around. And I mean, those are also problematic to me. I mean, the, you know, the, the Jaguars keep talking about the $65 million loan. It had in an earlier iteration of the deal, it had been a $65 million grant. Um, and as I was explaining earlier, to call this a loan is just sort of not leaves people with the wrong impression. Uh, they, they, for example, keep talking about how agreeing to, to convert it from a grant to a loan is like some major concession on their part. And it's not a major concession. They actually could very well be benefiting more from the loan structure than they would have from the grant. Explain that a little bit, if you, a little, just a little bit for the viewers or the listeners, because I don't think people understand, like, most people, when they hear loan, they're thinking about what they're paying on their car or their house. This is not that type of loan, right? No, it's not. I mean, so the important numbers are that it, as a grant, um, because of a change to the tax code in 2017, uh, if the city had given Shah Khan a grant, it would have been taxed at between a 21 to 38 percent rate. And the Jaguars have claimed yesterday that it would have been around the 38 percent rate. The loan allows Khan to use the principal and only lose 20% of it. So, God, I mean, God that's it. like the easiest way to say it. And so he's getting yeah. $52 million And at best, under the, the grant structure, at best, he they could have only used $52, 51000000 million out of it. He's so, saving him 20% in taxes right. by it being a loan uh, as opposed to it being a grant because of the change in the taxes. And so like, that's not, like you said, it's not even, it's, it, it, there's a difference there. Right. right. I mean, and so in, in the point being like, when we talk about red flags in this deal, I mean, for the Jaguars to just continue to kind of peddle this idea that that's, that was a concession, like why would, do you need to be misleading about a project? If, if this is, if it makes so much sense, like wh- why make these statements? Like why do this? Um, it's just bizarre. And, that, and that's kind of the, the issue a lot of people have with the current administration is that they just they just do things, right? And they don't get consensus and they don't actually ask enough questions because a lot of the deals, particularly that Ferris will deal, if they would have asked maybe five, six more questions, we it would have never been on the table, right? And I think where we're at now, you know, everything is being evaluated. I think it is interesting uh, and you touched on on this in your column, so I want to talk about this as well. That we're you know we're giving you know a two hundred million dollar loan to a billionaire, and and not just a regular billionaire, like one of the richest people in in the world. But our city has a lot of needs, right? Like our city has a ton of needs that could that could be done. And I'm pro development. I'm all for uh, development, but it, it feels like we have some priorities in this city that could be handled with a portion of that money as opposed to like, you know, doing that. There's no built in East side kind of um, a lot of times when developers come in and and this happened in Baltimore, when they come in, they put together what we call a bread box for, for development in the East side. There's none of that. Right. And so it's like, what are we really going to get from this when we have, infrastructure issues, crime issues that could use money, right? Like why, why, like one of the things that I, if we want to have these developments, why are we not also trying to use these developments to help fix our other problems? Yeah. And I actually think that of all of the 
criticism that this deal has gotten and a lot of the questions that the council and some of these independent reviews have asked, I think the the timing of it, like the idea that we're in the middle of a pandemic and an economic crash and how this fits into you know, fulfilling a lot of the other kind of urgent needs a city has, that stuff just like has not been talked about really enough. Um, and it, like kind of to a shocking degree to me, I mean, that could very well be, if all the rest of this deal were totally above board, I think that those issues are just as compelling and just as much a reason to be very hesitant about signing off on this. I mean, there is a real question here about whether the city can flatly afford to do this and whether it's responsible for it to do so. We go back to the JA thing and, you know, it's clear to me now even more that Lenny, like that money was for some of this stuff. Like he had plans for that money because there's no way you would do this deal in our current financial state as a city. I mean, like literally we're like the city isn't doing well, and everybody's budgets are going to be tighter because of Corona response. Like, I mean, we're coming out. Of, we're not even really coming out of it yet. And so, you know, most people, most governments around the state and around the country are being cautious, right, before they are making these big investments. I mean, you know, one of one of my favorite council people, Rory Diamond, says, you know, we should not be taxing people in a pandemic, right? And we should not be raising taxes in a pandemic, even if the city needs it. And I and and, and there's actually a point to that. But at the same time, you shouldn't be giving away two hundred million dollars, right? Uh, to a to a to a billionaire as well. And so, kind of to me, you know, one of the things I keep looking at is there is this like want from these developments to make Jacksonville a better place. But it feels like to me that the priorities are in the wrong place as far as what we need to do to do that. And so, but yes, I agree with you. I, I think that part of that part of this deal has been talked about the least. And, and it's actually to me kind of the most important part to see like where is the city going to be after we do this? A couple more points on the deal I wanted to flush out. Uh, we talked a little bit about the brownfield, the contamination that also goes into how when this deal will, when this project will even be finished, right? That's a big part of it. You want to go into a little bit about how that delays the project a little bit? Yeah. Well, so when this project got rolled out in the press conference that we've referenced a few times, uh, Mark Lamping, you know, when he was asked about a timeline, all he said was, you know, we think a 36 month uh, construction timeline is reasonable. And so people, you know, again, in the first 24 hours, 48 hours thinking, okay, so this is, you know, three years, um, as this, I mean, as the kind of scrutiny of the deal, um, has become greater. I mean, what, what is clear is that, (laughs) I mean, that three year construction timeline is at, could potentially be three years on top of an initial three years that it could take to remediate the property yeah, to clean the property up. Uh, and that's, I mean, they have described it specifically. They've said that environmental cleanup could take 33 months. So just under three years, they have characterized that as the fastest possible that the the various kind of work plus approvals needed um, that that's about the fastest it could get done. That's a streamlined version of, of being able, I, I, I did a paper in uh it's funny how all these things come back i did a i did my research in law school was on brownfields okay so i, I did a lot of research on, on brownfields and what it takes to to move them and what it takes to kind of remediate them and that i mean that 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 is a like that is if everybody knows you in the permitting place and you can walk your stuff through right and then you can know no issues with construction no issues with remediation every single time you get tested you get a you know it's like it's a perfect like setup like to get it in 33 months most time a remediation of that size could take anywhere from 4 to 5 years so i mean there's i mean but who knows right in a, and and who knows if you know the problem is nobody trusts what anybody's saying on that side because they've lied so many times people don't don't believe it but we'll even just give the benefit of the doubt you're adding three years to another three years so we're now six years out right which is the issue that i've had is like why are we rushing right if this is a project that's going to take six years 
why are we rushing to get this done? Exactly. And yeah, I mean, we, the Jaguars today said, I think they gave seven years as their estimate, assuming nothing goes wrong. I mean, we still don't know. A lot of this just gets back to the lack of information we have. That remember the ninety two point eight million the city is putting in for infrastructure includes uh, money for environmental cleanup, and that money we do not have any, as far as I'm aware, no documentation that justifies the figures, and so I don't really know how challenging Lot J is going to be to clean up. You know, one of the one of the kind of theories floating around, and and this part is not a theory. There is a large JEA water main underneath Lot J that goes under the St. John's River, delivers water across the, you know, across to the South Bank. Um, it is under Lot J. It's surrounded by a slurry wall, which is like kind of a reinforced concrete barrier. If they have determined that they're going to have to move that for any reason, uh, that would be like a giant project. It would be a big deal. Uh, you know, anything that runs under the river that has to be moved is, is challenging. And so like, is that why they're, they're being kind of squirrely about it, maybe taking three years or longer? I mean, I, I don't know. Um, and I'm not sure they've even really been directly asked about it, but. And most likely, you know, they, they, they don't know yet because they don't, right. they haven't, they haven't dug these type of things. You have to, you have to see it. You have to dig down. It's like part of, the structure and you have to see if you can move it easily or what's there. So they don't, they don't probably know Um, for what it's worth. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I mean, from what I can gather, I don't think JEA has really been part of the conversation at all. So yeah, maybe they don't know. So this thing eventually, like we said, they went to DIA, right. And uh, DIA released a report, which is hilarious because Explain what happened with the first release of the report and then what happened later. Sure. So Lori Boyer, she is the CEO of the DIA, Downtown Investment Authority. And Lori, um, some of your listeners might know, she was a member of the city council. She is a Republican. She lives in, in San Marco. She has been part of the political establishment as, as long as anyone else is around. And well-respected, but well-respected. Yeah, well-respected. Um, you know, a, a lawyer and uh, a former executive of a real estate company. Uh, so, uh, and, and known for being really meticulous, um, almost to a fault. And the point being, though, also not someone who is considered like a renegade or, or you know, like, some pesky meddler. Um, she's not a bomb thrower. So she does a report, you know, a bunch of media outlets request drafts and everything uh, kind of immediately. And so the, the DIA kind of distributes a version of the report on Tuesday morning. And this report is like shockingly pretty pointed. Um, it, a lot of the things that we're talking about problems with the deal, it, articulates them. It makes recommendations to eliminate, reduce, or alter the $65 million loan. It makes recommendations to eliminate the 92.8 infrastructure budget. Um, it, it, you know, kind of criticizes and not, maybe not directly criticizes, but calls into question some of the policy considerations. Like, is it fair to subsidize a hotel uh, when and let it compete with existing hotels that don't have subsidies. I mean, there are a lot of things in there. A few hours later, uh, the DIA issues a second sort of kindler, gentler report um, that Lori Boyer claimed was the result of a meeting she had with the Jaguars in the mayor's office. And she characterized this as being very routine and something they do all the time and that the second report is, I guess, really what they think about the deal, not the stronger first version. This is all bullshit. I mean, I just, yeah, I mean the, the time, the timeline of events, I mean, and, and I'm not saying this, uh, I want to be careful to say that I'm not saying this with any knowledge about it. Uh, but I mean, I think there is a reason Lori Boyer got the first version of the of the report out. Like I would speculate that she probably knew she was going to get flack and that 
she probably was going to need to walk some of these things back. And instead of just issuing one report that's watered down, she wanted to get the original out there first. That's my speculation. That's not, she didn't tell anyone that, or, or I mean, she didn't tell me that. So I'm just yeah, speculating. I, mean, I, think, but, I, think it, I, I do think it's interesting because, and I, and I don't want to add on to your conspiracy a little bit, but you know, Lori knows the block, man. She knows like, this isn't like a mistake that somebody like her would make, you know, I think, it's interesting that the report comes from staff. Uh, I'll speed us along because DIA actually voted on the report, right? And they re- re- voted on to keep, um, they voted to keep kind of the new recommendations, right? As opposed to some of the staff recommendations. And that was an interesting meeting. You've been in a lot of meetings these last couple of days. That was, a, that was an interesting meeting because a lot of the, 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 the it was, it was almost like the DIA people were raising issues, but then being like, oh, that issue isn't important, right? Like they would like raise an issue and then they would be like, well, we don't want this issue to take down the whole deal, but like it's an issue, right? Like it's not being addressed. You want to talk a little bit about that meeting? Sure. I mean, so what happened was, so like I said, the the second version of the report watered down a lot of the recommendations from the first report and the way So I'll use a specific example, the $65 million loan. The original report said, we don't have the information necessary to know whether this is justified. Therefore, we recommend it should be eliminated, reduced, or altered. The second report simply said, we don't have enough to know if this is needed. It didn't, and it left out the part about, by the way, you should like nix it. And so the DIA board looks at that particular sentence and says, well, that's not really a recommendation. That's just kind of an observation. Is it worthwhile to send an observation to the city council? Um, And so that's where the debate was. And it's just all a product of the fact that there were two reports. One board member in particular was trying to, to sway the board to say, look, maybe the fact that we couldn't justify the loan is in a way a recommendation. Like maybe we should tell them they should get the information to know whether it's justified. And the majority of his colleagues did not go for that. And so they were kind of like striking some of these things out. But how do people get on the DIA board, by the way? (laughs) They are appointed by the mayor and confirmed by the city council. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Just wanted to make sure we clarified that. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, you know, what we said about, Jameis and Tayson is it was about a lack of information, which is common, which has been the the theme of this particular um, this the the particular deal. I want to end though because it, it, it ended actually today. What we're recording it today, but it it, it ended to like it it met the council talked about it today, right? And there was a there was a council kind of. I mean, we weren't even sure if it was a workshop or a meeting. That was part of the the issue. But can you describe some of the carnage that happened today and what the ultimate kind of decision from the council was? Sure. So the idea today was um, the council president, Tommy Hazuri, who was a Democrat and who has been kind of feuding with the mayor recently, in part over Lot J. but, but endorsed the mayor. But endorsed the mayor. Yeah, he has a, a very complicated relationship with the mayor. Um, he scheduled uh, committees of the what are called committees of the whole, which basically just means the entire council meets. So instead of sending the Lot J legislation through a normal cycle, he wanted all the council members there at the same time to talk about it. And the expectation was that the city council would vote to move the Lot J legislation for a full city council vote this coming Tuesday uh, when they have a formal meeting. Um, And so that would be kind of a straw vote, right? So the idea was we were going to go into today and the council was going to vote on whether to move this out. And if you vote to move it out, that's kind of a vote for it. Like you don't, you know, it would be kind of weird to vote something out of committee that you don't support. So we were Mm -hmm. thinking we'd get a straw vote and we did not. Tommy Azuri unilaterally, uh, as a chair, right? Yeah, he deferred uh, taking a vote. The council can still vote on it on Tuesday. I mean, this is procedural wrangling, but 
Right, right. Um, what's interesting is if the mayor's office had felt super confident that they had 13 votes, I don't know why they wouldn't have just overridden Tommy today. And and I there is some there's some that may still happen, right? Yeah. That may still happen. It could, still, it could happen Tuesday. So there's some theorizing about how close the, they need 13 votes, a super majority um, to approve this legislation. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, what happened today is what's happened in past meetings. I mean, the council just has a million questions about this. The council auditor came out with a new round of observations and concerns one of, Which they like ignored every like they were like he she came with this stack of questions and they're like oh okay that's cool yeah, like one of the things a council auditor provided the council today I mean I consider it to be almost on the level of a game changing revelation so the city is going to have to borrow out of its two hundred and forty million odd contribution the city expects it's going to have to borrow two hundred and eight million of that the council auditor went ahead and estimated the interest payments that. Are, that the city will have to make on top of that 208 principal. And they came up with like $157 million, which means that the total the city is spending is actually closer to $356 million. And it could actually be closer to $390 million, depending on how you count some of the other incentives. Like that's To get $0.41. And that actually probably lowers the 41 cents on the dollar, huh? It probably lowers that <laughs> it, by a lot. It probably does. And yeah, and that 40 cents on the dollar or 44 cents, I mean, even that is sort of based on some favorable sales tax numbers and stuff that the Jaguars have provided. So, I mean, <laughs> even the 40 odd something cents is probably a number you could poke some holes in. And probably, I don't want to get into all the drama, but there was definitely some drama today, but Probably the most interesting thing that came out of this was kind of why we're not doing the lease first, right? Like that was that was the the revelation that was finally, you know, like kind of spoken on today, and which I thought was to me, I, I mean, I'm a Jaguar fan. I grew up a Jaguar fan, went to the first Jaguar game, like went to a Jaguar game on crutches. I love the Jaguars. Like I I when I was out of town, I lived in South Florida, I would make a trip to watch the Jaguars on a small TV in this little bar in South Florida because I love that team so much, right? But but the real issue here is the fact that they don't want – that they have to wait till 2023 to know um, to know if they're going to do a, a lease or not. Let's, uh, that was, to me, an interesting revelation from today, right? Yeah, I mean, so the Jaguars have made clear that they do not want to attach – any lease extension to this lot J money. So that's, it's a concession they are just not willing to make. Um, and what they have said is that the, the lease conversation should come up when they are ready to talk about what to do at the stadium. And the expectation is that rather than building a new stadium, uh, the bank is probably just going to undergo some pretty heavy renovations, uh, you know, hopefully including a cover. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But Lamping, and, and I don't know how much of this is just the Jaguars kind of trying to delay, like, I mean, Lamping sort of lays out this really complicated five-phase multi-party study that they're doing of the stadium, and oh, it's going to take us all this time, and I mean, I think they know what they want in a new stadium, or in a renovated stadium, this is really can't be that complicated to figure out, but I think for whatever reason they've just decided they don't want to talk about it until after Lot J and four, three years, you know, and in three years from now. So I mean, what they the, the hand that they showed today is that they plan on coming back in three years to to ask and for a new stadium. Yeah, and that, and that's and that's really my like issue. Like you know, like if you want it, you can debate the value of an NFL team to a city. That's a, that's a very good debate, right? But if you want to have this, the team in the city, wouldn't you start with the lease first before you do anything else? Because now you're invested in this, in lot J, which to be honest, lot J only makes a lot of sense if you have a football team, right? Cause if you don't have a football team in three years, why are you investing in lot J? And then really you're investing in it now. So you can't back out of whatever they ask you for in three years. Right. I mean, that's, that's the issue. It is. I mean, th this whole thing is, 
being done backwards. Um, and look, I mean, the, the Jaguars, I mean, we talked earlier about, you know, Lenny is kind of already, the mayor has already tried to play this hand of saying, oh, well, the Jaguars might leave. And I mean, the truth is there is a connection to the lease. I mean, the city is literally going to have to amend the stadium lease for lot J for parking stuff. So, I mean, there is a literal connection and there is what you're laying out just beyond that, a, a more obvious issue that lot J doesn't work at all if there's no football team. So, I mean, it's being done backwards and I don't know why the Jaguars don't just want to do the stadium first. They could this, this five phase, three year thing they're laying out. I mean, that, that's again, like that, that is just bullshit. I mean, they could come up with, um, solutions much faster than that. I, so I, I don't know what their thinking is. I mean, the strategy in all of this has just been really odd and not, and does not serve yeah. them well. Yeah. And, 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 and what happens when you have a strategy that isn't transparent, more people start poking at the deal and then you start more things start spilling out, more issues continue to happen. Right. And what I was surprised about is the, is the particular council people that, that spoke up today, Becton, Al Ferrero, people that have normally been in the mayor's camp uh, and, and normally would be all for this have tons of questions have tons of questions, right? And like so many questions. And I do think you should answer all the questions before you give somebody $200 million or basically $390 million that you may have to pay out. And so that was what was so crazy about today was it was clear that the the mayor's office didn't get any consensus at all before they moved this forward. For sure. And I mean, the politics of this are are just really weird. I mean, so... Danny Becton, you know, a South Side Republican, at the risk of giving him maybe too much credit, I think part of what's going on here also is that, I mean, like Danny Becton is a fiscal conservative and like takes that stuff fairly seriously. Uh, Lenny Curry is not a, of uh, the things he may be good and bad, he is not a policy guy. He is not a believer in the like grand conservative project. Like he doesn't give a shit about politics. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't. He is very much a kind of a political opportunist. Um, A little bit like Rick Scott. Like Rick Scott was cool with Medicaid expansion at one point, and then wasn't. I mean, it's just it's it's like this opportunism. It's like a sort of uh, you know like a catfish eats whatever is available. Right now, Lot J is he has made this calculation. It's it's politically favorable to support it. Some of his colleagues who are fellow Republicans and who, you know, just have kind of different things going on in their own ambitions, like they're not there. Um, and yeah, someone like a Danny Beckton and even an Al Ferraro, like, you know, they wouldn't support spending two hundred million dollars on North Side prevention and intervention programs and they're not going to you know just blindly support 200 million for shotgun so it's weird I mean, the, the politics are weird and to your point in the mayor's office they they, they are not consensus builders uh i mean those are their friends those i mean if they have yeah. friends on the board it's it's those two right i mean like i mean there's some people that are more but those guys have have not wavered <laughs> and so, like, you know, for them to speak up publicly like that is a, is a big deal, man. It's a, it's a big deal. It, it, was a, it was surprising when they lost Al. That was the most surprising thing because I'm like, oh, my gosh, they lost Al. This is this – is I didn't – I mean, I didn't think it was in, in trouble. I thought this was kind of normal, kind of everybody kind of making sure they washed their hands in public, right? But – um to see to hear a couple of those comments worried me. Um, I want to talk about, uh, and I think what also is worrying people, especially those two, is the polls that came out today. Right? There's a poll dropped by my my my, uh, my uh, undergrad university that you know basically, I believe. How many people are opposed to deal? I believe like it was like fifty four like, against. Uh, 42 four. I mean, it was like a little over a minus 10 point spread. Yeah. yeah. And then like what's even was even crazier was the mayor's approval ratings are so low. 
he has a 56 disapproval rating, which is which is is wild. And not only <laughs> with not only that, but the the city council has a higher has a higher approval rating, which is uncommon because normally a body will always have a less approval rating than one person, right? It's just natural when you do polling. There's a lot of different uh, touch points for people not to like the council, right? And so that's abnormal that a council would have that. And that's how bad it is. And I said this on Twitter today. It was like, why would you choose that person to be your spokesperson for this? Like literally the per- the least trusted politician in the city right now. Why would you choose him to kind of lead this? I, I, I don't get it. So, well, and I think what you're seeing, what you've seen over the last you know week or so, is that the Jaguars are taking a more active role in being the kind of face of the project. Yeah, um, yeah, they took it away from him. Yeah, in part of it, and and Cordish too. Cordish you've seen too. more Cordish, yeah, no, as well for sure. And part of it is part of that is just the you know, the process, like if someone asks a question that the Jaguar should answer, it's the Jaguars answering it. But without a doubt, they have, there is a shift. And I mean, the truth of the matter is, I don't think, I mean, Lenny Curry would not and could not get up at the podium and answer a lot of questions, but I don't think it would, I mean, it would be detrimental. Like it would not help on the council. It would not help at all. It would not help at all. And so the way the meeting ended, basically, um, the president, Council President Missouri, is saying that it's going to be delayed. It's not going to move forward, but it could possibly be moved forward on Tuesday by thir- They need 13 of the 19 members to move it forward, right? And we won't count votes today because it, 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 it's fresh. But I want definitely want to know, like, if you have any predictions on, on where this is going to go. Man. The last time I did this was the JEA sale, and I think I predicted that the votes were there to get it done, and, and obviously yeah. that was just yeah. <laughs> turned into yeah. something totally different. But I would stick by – here's what I'll say, because like I would stick by my assessment then, which was that if it gets to a council vote, they probably have the votes. And I think it's similar – I think there's a similar dynamic here, and I think that's why you've seen the mayor's office push so hard for an up or down vote, like just stop the processes and stop the reviews, because they, I think they believe correctly that even with the 13 threshold, that they are that that is still the the most likely outcome. I mean, that's the easy bet that on Tuesday night there will be a vote to discharge the bill so they can vote for it that night and there will be 13 votes for it. I think that is easily the favorite outcome here. So I will, I will push on, I'm going to go the opposite way on your, on your prediction, just to be fair. I just think that from here to Tuesday, more things will come out, which is classic this administration. And it's going to be very hard for them to kind of push this through with this type of stuff. And so we'll see. I think what I think the best political strategy is to let it rest for three weeks, let people calm down, which is what I think Tommy is trying to do and see what will happen. So I don't think it'll get voted on Tuesday, but I've, I've been wrong as well. So we will see. It will not go up on Tuesday. I think it'll ultimately pass. The deal will look a little bit differently to save everybody's face a little bit, but it will look a little different, but we'll see. I think there's a lot to be said for this. So, Nate, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Any last words, any last thoughts here before um, I give mine? Sure. I mean, just to piggyback on on that point, the one thing that I'm hoping for, I'm, it's, a, it's a slim hope, maybe the Jaguars this weekend realize there's a concession they can make that would guarantee they get almost all of what they want. Maybe they – drop the loan and Shad goes out on the private market and gets a legit loan. Maybe they give us a minimum home game guarantee. I mean, that's to me, the tragedy of this project is it would not take a lot to get most people begrudgingly on board. Well, I want to give my final word on this and, and I'll be honest. I don't think the deal the way it is, is a good deal for the city. I think, um, we need to make deals that benefit the city as a whole and not just make deals from a point of desperation. 
I am concerned that the, the mayor is pushing this in a way that isn't necessarily like he's our advocate, more as he's almost the Jaguars advocate. And I always think that's a problem. I think we need to reevaluate this deal, but also think and cap on Twitter. I'll, I'll give him a shout out. He said this is Jaguar fans need to step up and say something. You know, if you want the team here, you know, you need to let the council people know it's okay to make a better deal, right? Because that's what's holding everybody here is this is the Jaguars leaving and and you know whether or not you think it's a good idea to have them here or not but like you have to speak up you know you got to speak up if you want this to happen in a way that makes sense you know we could spend 1% of that money on on city issues on crime on on children and do a world of difference and i'm all for this deal i'm for the Jaguars i'm for development I think there's another question about whether or not that part of downtown should even have this development. I'm not even wanting to have that. My thing is if you put together a package that included a lease uh, extension or minimum home games, then you've done, everybody's gotten something from the deal, right? And we can give you that sweetheart deal if we got something in return. And that's not what's happening here. We're getting held at gunpoint a little bit. And being told that if we don't pass this thing, the Jaguars are going to leave. And we're not also told what we're going to be and that they're also the people are coming. The robbers are going to come back in three years and ask us for something else. And we don't even know what that's going to be, you know. And one thing that 2020 has taught everybody is you, you don't know revenue for cities are not expected. And so you don't know what our city issues are going to be like in three years. We don't know what climate is going to do and flooding and all of that stuff. And so to make this deal with this many questions seems like a bad idea. And so if you're listening, I always want to give people, you know, an opportunity to what can I do as opposed to just listening to the podcast, reach out to your council people and tell them how you feel, tell them that you want a better deal. Tell them that you want, if you do tell them if you, you want a lease attached or tell ask what for what you want, because, this deal will go through if no one steps up and, and 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 says something. As someone who was part of the kind of the first JA thing, that was what moved it. You know, everybody thought JA was going to be sold a couple of times and people stepped up. And I think this deal could just be better and everybody could get something from it. And I think that's how we should be making deals. Like we should be making deals for the best of our city and for them. It should be equal and it, it's really one sided. And so. You know, I always say this at the end of every podcast, you know, voting is the beginning of your your political responsibility. It's important to get, you know, educated and engaged. And so, Nate, always thank you for coming on, educating us and engaging us on why you should get. I appreciate it, man. Obi, thank you, man. This is fun as always. 